something that's always been coming up in my practice and I struggle with where I call it when you're at E. So, you know, like with your car, when your car's saying the E, but <laughs> don't push it. Yeah. So we push it. And unfortunately, that does damage to the car. So I always say to people when we start working, you should never get to E. Hey, it's David. And you're listening to Leadership Without Losing Your Soul, your source for practical leadership inspiration, tools, and strategies you can use to achieve transformational results without sacrificing your humanity or your mind in the process. Hey, welcome to the show today uh, here in season 15. And that's a lot of seasons. It's uh, it's very cool. And I'm, for those of you who have been along for a lot of the journey, today's a topic I have been wanting to address for quite some time. And I was so happy to uh, see this book come across my desk and to get to meet its author. We spent some time talking before the show, and I am so pleased to introduce you today to Chinasom Som Nwabweze, who is the founder and managing director at Dreamcatchers Performance LLC, high performance coaching consulting company. And drawing from two decades of experience as a leadership coach and performance psychologist, he recently authored the book that we're going to be talking about today, Real Talk, A New Approach to Men's Mental Fitness. Uh, it's an Amazon bestseller, and he's got a corresponding podcast he hosts called Real Talk Conversations on Mental Fitness. And uh, uh, you, let's see, Chinasam, you've spent uh, more than 2,000 hours coaching global brand leaders, C-suite executives, helped them achieve uh, career-altering results while discovering the guiding force central to that mental fitness revolution. And I love this quote. That is so important. There is no sustainable high performance without well-being. Chinasom, welcome to Leadership Without Losing Your Soul. Thank you so much, David. Um, really a pleasure to be here. I'm looking forward to this conversation, to talk about the book. And yeah, just any time I get to talk about the book is, is just a pleasure for me. And just to share with other people in the workspace to see what I'm looking forward to the questions you're going to ask me. And I always learn a lot from being asked the questions. So excited and looking forward to having some fun. Well, me too. And like I said, the topic is one that I've been uh, definitely wanting to uh, talk about on the show. Mental health is is just so important uh, in so many ways. Before we dive into the book, though, and, and your work in this area, I uh, want to ask you if you could take us back as far down your memory lane as you want to. Uh, but what is your earliest memory of yourself as a leader, where you remember yourself leading in some way, shape or form? Wow. As a leader, I could go all the way back to childhood because I'm the oldest um, son from my my mom. So I was always having that put upon me that you need to lead by example and show show up for your, your my two sisters. But for me, actually, this actually jumped out to me because we're going through a lot of uncertainty. And it was actually when my first role as a manager and I was leading the team and it was during the financial, the last financial crisis. I'm obviously giving my age away now. Some people wouldn't remember when uh, when Lehman Brothers and, and everybody crashed. But I do remember that period because um, it's really stuck with me of the power of when you get people together and you unite them, how much magic can happen. So mm. I was leading a team. and uh, We were working in financial services for securitization. And I remember we had to say there was about 65, 70 people in the office. We all got whittled down to 14 that day. I just remember that day because the phone would ring. If your phone rang, you picked it up, you went to a room, you didn't come back. Mm. Everybody was sitting there just panicking, not wanting their phone to ring. 
so much so that I remember actually not going to the to the um, restroom because you know, like you didn't want to go and think did my phone ring did it not ring but at the end when we were left it was just I then had a team of seven people and it was amazing we had to now do the work of nearly 70 people and having to lead through that time, there was no there was no rule book of okay, how do you how do you lead this group of people? And I remember just thinking I wasn't gonna sugarcoat the fear I was feeling because I just bought a house. So I just bought a house at the time. <laughs> I didn't want to do it because I was scared about getting a mortgage. So I buy the house and then financial crisis hit. So I remember going in the room and just thinking, I'm gonna have to tell these people how scared I am as well. And I shared that with them. But I remember having this feeling of rolling my sleeves up and that there's going to be a lot of work because everybody else is gone. We have to keep the lights on and just sharing the fear. I was like, there's a lot that's not in the control. I don't have the answers. Nobody's told me what's happening. But what I do know is we know the work that needs to get done. And if we focus on doing that, then chances are, fingers crossed, we're not going to get, we're not going to be let go. But what actually happened for that year, it was probably the best team I ever, I ever worked with. And what I loved was the way, Everybody had each other's back. Mm. We did the best work because it was funny after the financial crisis and we rehired everybody. It still makes me laugh that when there was only 14 of us in two teams, we did better work than when you actually had 60 people. So I feel like I always remember that period of leading is rolling up your sleeves, be as authentic and honest with people as possible because they always respond to that. Um, and when people see that you're willing to do the work and you're not, I, my view at that point was I would never ask somebody to do something I'm not willing to do. So I feel like people do really resonate with that. And I think a bigger part is actually practice what you preach. So people, when people see the way you act, they're likely going to, if you role model what you want them to do, they're likely going to follow suit. So that, that period still sticks in my mind because I used to remember how everyone would have each other's back. If yeah. something was not going right, people would just, they would step in without even you asking them. And it's showing me the power of the human spirit when everybody pulls together in one one direction, how much they can achieve. Oh, powerful moment. Uh, a couple of things I, I'm thinking about as we as you reflected on that experience. So first is a couple of things we have in common. Also the oldest, also some of my earliest uh, leadership experiences, definitely being that first board and yeah. <laughs> having, having all of those. Also bought my first house, just going into that financial crisis. <laughs> <laughs> so you have that feeling of fear. It was like, oh uh, yeah, whatever, what's going on here? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and but then you know, as you're talking about your experience leading through that, um, your experience of fear mm. and not keeping that in, but acknowledging that fear, being real about it, being real about what you didn't know, about what you do know, um, the clarity of hey, there's a lot of things I don't know, but what I do know is this is the work in front of us, and yeah. you were real about that, and the team was able to rally around that. Yeah, I. Yeah, I was glad I did that because I just remember we had a lot of leaders coming in and they'll tell us that, oh, we're, everything is good. And you could always sense that they were just not telling you the truth. And the one thing I thought at this moment was I need I need this team to trust me. And for me, them to trust me, I was like, I've, I've got to like tell them the truth, however hard it is. I can't sugarcoat yeah. it. So I was glad I was courageous enough to not come up with some political speech at the time and actually just told them the truth uh scary actually i remember <laughs> telling them i was thinking how is this going to land but i just mm -hmm. had to trust my instincts at that time 
Your instinct served you well in that in that environment, and which it gets us into uh, some of the the content and the the thinking and wisdom that you have to share. Uh, Chinasom Noabeze, your book is Real Talk: A New Approach to Men's Mental Fit and Fitness. And uh, throughout the book, you use the term mental fitness. Uh, there's a lot of different terms, you know, we could use well-being, mental health, di- different things. You use mental fitness, and I know reading through the book, that's an intentional choice on your part. Mm-hmm. Um, what is mental fitness from your perspective? For me, mental fitness is we all have, like when we have our mental health, it's about similar to physical fitness. Okay, you have your mental health. Now start to understand what is it? that you know that keeps your emotion I, I kind of call it like you have an emotional energy tank what is it that you need to do to make sure that tank is filled up and whatever those practices are carving out and being intentional that okay today I've done something to fill up my tank and then also practicing the mental skills where for instance when that incident happened you can quite easily go down a rabbit hole worrying about uncertainty and what does this mean, but actually using those mental skills to say, okay, what's in my control? Am I actually putting my energy where it needs to go? So mental fitness is just really being proactive to sustain your well-being. Because for me, I feel like the link between well-being and performance, I've always kind of thought was there. So if you want to perform, you need to take care of your mental fitness to make sure that life is going to come and take that energy, take um, that emotional energy from you. So being proactive and intentional. Because um, sadly, there was a situation in my family where when I saw when people lose their mental health, it's so hard to, to try and fix it or put it back together. So I was like, okay, now that I have my mental health, I'm going to focus as much as possible, similar to physical fitness, to practice to keep my mental health. So that's why I use the word mental fitness, because I feel this, it's an ongoing practice. And it's also a journey that we're on to we life keeps throwing challenges on us and we have to keep adapting and changing and work find out what works for us to keep our mental health does this uh does this metaphor uh i don't want to stretch it too far so you tell me if i'm off base here or not but is it similar to you know as we're doing physical fitness and and we're lifting or running or biking or swimming or, or whatever we're doing and and that and our practice is going pretty well and then one day you wake up and you got a ligament that's just not right. And okay, now I've got to, you know, treat that differently. I may need to use some heat, use some cold, maybe stay off of that leg for at that level for a couple of weeks. Or are, are, are there parallels in terms of the way that you're looking at mental fitness? Yeah, I love your analogy because I feel like when you're exercising, one day you'll be exercising, you probably do a bit too much and then you wake up and you're hobbling with one leg. And then you think, okay, I can't run anymore. I can't do this, but I still need to exercise. So you find out, okay, I go to to the swimming pool or you go and do yoga. So you keep adapting. Um, So for me, that really resonates with mental fitness. Because for instance, when when I became a dad, that was an eye-opening experience to me because the things that filled up my energy tank, when you're not sleeping so well, they weren't filling up my energy tank. And it took me like a while to work out Okay, these strenuous sporting activities. I used to play squash at the time. You can't you can't keep doing that when you're not sleeping. So I had to adapt and find going for long walks with my son. He got to sleep. I got an hour, hour and a half walk. That was what was going to work at that period in time. So you have to keep like, as you said, adjusting and adapting. If you wake up and the ligament's not working, what can you do differently? Uh, and so having that curiosity to your mental fitness is, is quite important. So when my I'm now a dad of two. When my daughter came along, 
I was actually sit down and think, okay, what, what needs to change for this period to keep my mental fitness? Such a good practice. I, and I want to dive into some of the specifics of it. Um, before I, I go there and to some of the, the specific practices of what mental fitness looks like and how you maintain that practice, you, you address the title of the book, A New Approach to Men's Mental Fitness, uh, Real Talk, A New Approach. Why men specifically? Why did you choose to write? Obviously, mental health and mental well-being, things affect all of us. Why the focus on men? That was when I sat down and thought, okay, I, I'd been coaching through the pandemic. And I, for me, it was like an eye-opening experience getting to work with people and coaching them. And I just realized the importance of well-being and mental fitness. So I said, okay, I wanted to take all that I'd seen in my coaching practice and somehow share it with everybody. And when I looked at this field in well-being, I kind of realized that men was kind of, they were, were a forgotten group. There wasn't a lot out there focusing on men. And for me as well, at the time I'd just gone through, I changed career, I moved from the UK to the US. I'd gone through a lot of challenges where I kind of realized, even though it was my job to be focusing on well-being, I still was getting my ass handed to me. So I also realized that there was a gap there that for men, we, because of what society tells us, the way we're supposed to show up, we we end up finding that we can't understand our emotions and we can never kind of take the armor that we're carrying around down to kind of let let our guard down. And also we struggle to be vulnerable because I feel to ask for help, you've got to be vulnerable in the first place. So I started to realize that there was a gap there. Plus I, a lot of my friends at the time, I'm, I'm mid forties now. So I was finding a lot of friends were now having starting to have mental breakdowns at that age. And I started to ask myself the question, what is it? Why, why is this, this cycle repeating itself? So that's when I realized I was going to focus on men in particular, just because I felt that group was not being served. And that was, yeah, that was what led to. Like, in this, in this particular culture and time and, and period of time that, that, that exists. And, you know, as, uh, as I was um, going through the book and, and preparing for our show today, I was thinking about a friend of mine who, a uh, friend for decades at this point, uh, we've known each other a very long time and sent uh, another friend of mine, the two of us, he sent uh, an email a couple of weeks ago and he said, we had just had a conversation uh, in live online kind of thing. And a couple of days later, he sent us both an email and he said, hey guys, um, wasn't completely honest with you when I was, when we were talking, he said, I'm really struggling. And he said, I'm, um, and he was describing, like you're saying, some, some, you know, where your, your mental just breaks down and he was uh, upset, depressed, really having some feeling out of control of his own emotions. The, you know, the fitness was definitely not there. Yeah. And he said, but the, the part that got me, and I think is so relevant to what you're just saying is he said, this is the, f I felt this way for a while. This is the first time I have ever disclosed it and acknowledged I need help. And that is a big deal to put that in writing and send you this message. <laughs> like, you know, it was, and we've known each other a long time. And this, the vulnerability that you're talking about, uh, and he's not somebody who's like, you know, your traditional classic, like I'm macho, I don't have feelings, I'm not gonna, you know, like that's not who he is. But to admit that level of pain and hurt and need for help, very, very challenging. Mm. 
sounds like, and I, and I see in your book, like the need to say something when you're hurting is part of it. But um, I, I was definitely thinking about him in terms of some of those cultural elements. And I've certainly had my own, my own struggles there too, of admitting when things aren't good and that that's okay mm. to, to admit so that you can figure out how to get them better. Yeah. And I, yeah, I, I love that you shared that point because I think there's a bit in the book when the, all the friends are talking and they're trying to help this one friend who something has happened to. But then in, in them talking, they actually realized they were all struggling uh, and they never reached in to check in with each other. And I found that uh, for guys, it's very hard for us to, to ask for help. I, I don't know exactly how, why, but I even found myself when I went through this transition, it was hard to be in that vulnerable place that, you know, things weren't quite working, things were tough, things were more challenging than I expected. So being able to actually open up and say, I'm struggling, I even struggled with it. And I was like, okay, I wanted to remove the stigma around that because what I found from my coaching practice, just like what your friend did, just the fact of just saying it out loud and saying it to your friends, you always think, oh, I don't want to burden them or I don't want to, but it's never, it's always better to say it out loud, 100% better. And it's never as bad as you think when it's just in your own head. So I really wanted to write something to just say to guys, just just say it out loud, just start the conversation because your friends would 100% rather you said something. It doesn't matter whether they can fix it or not, but rather that you told them than sadly they find out that you've had a mental breakdown or God forbid you committed suicide. Yeah. And all this time you were hurting and never trusted that hurt or that pain to people who care about you. Yeah. 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 And I have, with this same friend, I'm thinking about times where I went through a major life challenge. And uh, when I was debriefing it all with him, he said, gosh, I feel like a bad friend. I didn't know. And I said, that's not your fault. I didn't tell you. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Like exactly like you're saying is, is I had not shared it with him. So he couldn't support me in it because I hadn't shared it. Yeah. And I've I've been making that my mission now with friends to start having this real talk because there's nothing more painful than I'm like with some friends you find out through their wife and my wife will find out that they were struggling with this and I'm like why the hell didn't you tell me so yeah. now I try to make sure when when I have conversations is like I try to ask the question of how are you doing and when they just say yeah 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 I'm okay I'm like oh, okay t tell me why you're okay tell me a bit more just digging a little bit deeper so that they, they actually share. Our guest today is Shinasom Noazebe. Real Talk, A New Approach to Men's Mental Fitness is the book. And uh, we're talking about uh, mental health, about some of the challenges that keep us from sharing and speaking up with some of those challenges and the, the health and wellness that's available and the support from one another that's there when we do. Uh, Gina Sum, in we just did some research uh, for our next book, uh, which comes out in um, a few months here. Talked to 5,000 people around the world or, or surveyed them in 46 different countries asking about um, workplace conflict. And one of the things we found is that there's 70% of people say it's the same or worse over the last couple of years. There's more of it. And one of the main reasons people cited was uh, more conflict due to mental health, anxiety, depression, especially coming out of the pandemic and uh, some of the lingering effects and things there. And I'm curious in your coaching work and in your work with organizations, uh, what you're seeing in terms of, you know, it's easy to say, oh, the pandemic's behind us. 
I mean, COVID obviously isn't behind us, but that period of lockdown and, and all of that is behind us. But it had a pretty major effect on organizations, on individual human beings, on families, on friends, and on all those aspects of, of life. And I'm curious what you're seeing in terms of lingering impact that as leaders, as people listening, and as somebody who's a, a practitioner in this field, what, what you're seeing. I think that's a great question. And I feel like we haven't actually seen the full effects from the pandemic, because if you take a step back and just think, I, I moved over here in 2019. So, so before 2020, how many people worked from home or were remote? You know, it was just not heard of, especially when I worked in banking, you, 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 it was told you couldn't work from home. So we all had this partitioning in our lives where we go to work, that's our work persona. We go home, that's our home persona that got flipped upside down. Uh, so we're now seeing into people's home. We're working a lot of people, more people are working from home. And people who had kids, luckily I didn't have kids at that age, but where you had to do the homeschooling, I was still hearing from parents that it, it was really, really tough. Um, and they're still trying to see the after effects of how did it actually affect those kids, especially kids who were about to go to college. Yeah, that was, Those were the tough, the most affected at that mm. area. So I feel the after effects haven't fully been been seeing that but now if we come to like this year it's just a rapid change so, so from the job i was doing we there was this thing that was called the great resignation i think it was last year where you people were just resigning from their jobs so employers were struggling to fight to fill vacancies they couldn't fill vacancies fast forward to january of this year it just flipped like that and then all of a sudden people are getting laid off so i feel like we've just been in this like washing machine cycle of change after change after change rapid change yeah I haven't even stopped to like what the hell's going on and with ai the way ai is moving it's going to be the same next year so not only have we not digested what happened in the pandemic where remote working is now a thing some people and i've, I've been working remote all through so i haven't i don't even know what it's like to go into the office anymore so the work structure has changed. The way you now interact with the family has changed. The way you're also supposed to integrate your work and your your life, people, it now requires more harmony. Plus the rapid change that's happening, I think people are just in a spin. So what I see in my coaching practice is people are just struggling to like, it's not even just uncertainty, it's just the rapidness of the change. It's like you can't catch your breath. Yeah. I can't I put it to like white water rafting. Like you're just going down the rapids, you turn over, you flip over, and then you're back still going, still having to navigate the boat. And I think employers just have to realize there's, there's a lot more support, there's a lot more skills, skills that are needed and tools that people need just to just to be just you know maintain their mental fitness at this moment. And and going back to there's no sustainable high performance without well-being. And recognizing all of these impacts, so, you know, that washing machine or that whitewater rapids metaphor it really feels true in that, uh, you know, gosh, as you were thinking about AI, uh, it hasn't been like publicly available and out the way that people are using it now. At the time that this airs, I think it will be about a year, like just over a year, like it hasn't been hardly any length of time, really a blip in in human history and yet it just feels like oh that's the way it is we're all adjusting you know <laughs> it's just one thing that's one thing out of all of the elements that you just just listed so 
so a couple things. One, as leaders, we have to recognize that not just our teams, but us as human beings too, that we're all still digesting. I like your word there, digesting, figuring out, incorporating, integrating all of this stuff that's happening in the life that we're living and that that has an impact and we need to have awareness of it and maybe talk about it, maybe process how we're doing with it, those sorts of things. So I am curious, let's get into some of the practical mental fitness skills. We want to build this fitness. I want to be able to integrate some of these things. I want to be able to to have a practice of mental fitness and uh, mentally, I know I always think of uh, physical fitness. I want to be able to lift my grandchild up when I'm 80 years old and and play catch and, and all those kinds of things. What do I need to be doing mentally? What are some practices here we can get into? So the, the stuff I put in the book, there's also something which I now share is this visual aid. So I think this is your emotional and energy tank. And I try to get people every day, you, when you wake, first thing when you wake up in the morning, before you start thinking about your to-do list, what you have to do is tuning into this tank and thinking how many, where's your emotional energy level? And I want to, for, for our listeners who are in the car or you're on your treadmill, uh, Chinasam, you're holding up a glass jar that's filled with multicolored foam balls. Yeah. And so the foam balls are supposed to represent the things that give you joy. Um, mo- I call those moments. So whatever that is that's on your list, it gives you joy. Going for a walk with the dog, spending time with the family, going fishing, whatever it is, those are those things that fill this up. The other thing is also movement. You know, a lot of exercise is really such a great way of getting endorphins and dopamine and serotonin. So movement in the day is critical as well to put that put that in there. Then there's also mindfulness. Now, mindfulness is not necessarily you have to go and sit down with your leg crossed and meditate, but having that me time where you can process your emotions of what's happening and decide what's in your control. You know, what are you going to let go and what are you actually going to do? And then a key part here is rest. And for me, when I say rest, there's also rest, which is just sleep, switching off, which a lot of people are now struggling with being able to switch off, but then also mentally recovering. So say, for instance, you just went through a big restructure at work and you've had to like change the way you do things and put on a whole new system. And for the last three months, you've been running really, really hard. But what do you do to recover mentally from doing that? Because usually what happens at work is you finish that and you jump straight into the next thing. And a big part as well is rejuvenation, which is celebrating your success. Like actually stopping and think, wow, look at all that I achieved. Like have a way of celebrating that. And also reminding yourself, why why, why are you doing what you do? Well, why are you, like, what's the, per- tapping back into the purpose so that that fills up your energy tank so that you have more to go out and, and give and put, and put into the world. Then on, a big part as well is this that I'm showing you, what's constantly happening is it's being taken from, you know, work will take from it, family will take from it. So it's constantly being taken from and you need to prioritize and put boundaries in place to make sure that your energy is going where it needs to go. And in some situations, that means saying no to certain things so that you can go and top up the energy tank. But a big a big part now in my work is it makes people understand so there's no sustainable high performance without well-being and what also for me is you can't pour from an empty i call this the cup you can't pour if this is empty you can't pour anything out of it so I've, i really want people to start when it comes to mental fitness is making sure you know that you're not an empty and if you are an empty 
having a way to take steps to go and make sure that you fill this up because it's not selfish. If you don't fill that up and you keep trying to pour from it, sooner or later you're going to, like what I say, hit, hit a wall, burn out, and then you're going to lose your mental fitness. Yeah. As, as you're talking, uh, so A, agree 100% with everything you just said and in terms of those practices. And I'm also thinking about when I am in my periods of low mental fitness, if we will. I'm, I'm thinking just last week I had a, a time where uh, I was re really struggling. My sleep had been disrupted. I had a lot of business travel um, that had happened the week before. Uh, a combination of things, you know, how things happen. So I've got a lot of business travel with great engagements, but mentally draining, then sleep, not going well, travel is its own exhaustion, um, major tech upheavals in the business that needed attention. So there were crises that needed to be solved, these sorts of things. Uh, and for a variety of reasons, I found myself in a, a really low mental fitness state where um, I was not feeling empowered. I was not feeling strong. I was not feeling in control of my world or my reality. Uh, and that victim thinking starts creeping in. And now I'm tossed about on the white water raft that you're talking about or the washing machine and everything else. And I bring all that up because I know, and it's still, it's only a week out, week and a half out from the last time I experienced that, that in those moments, that list of things that you just said that fill the tank mm. feel so i can give intellectual assent i can say yeah china Som, you're absolutely right i know those things would be helped i don't know how in the hell i'm going to do any of that like mm. I, I feel so lost and tossed about and i'm struggling i got no energy to do anything much less you want me to exercise and go for a walk and talk to my friends and journal in the morning and <laughs> you know uh so, and I'm exaggerating a little bit, but like, I, I know in like my, my darkest, most challenging, and by the way, I do all those things and I know the value <laughs> of them. So just listeners, don't worry about me. You don't need to call and be like, are you all right? Uh, <laughs> but in my, my low moments, that's how it feels like, ah, life is our, you know, I remember Darwin and he wrote, you like, life is miserable and I hate everybody. You know, <laughs> he had a, he had a low moment at that point when he wrote that. Yeah. So in your in your coaching work and as you're talking with folks who are working through these things and struggling, how do you advise or recommend a listener who might be experiencing that right now and go, yeah, I know what you're saying. Yeah. Okay. I need to eat well. I need to spend time with friends. I need to sleep. Okay, fine. But how, how do I get there? How do I start down that road? That's a great, that's a great question. Um, cause it's something that's always been coming up in my practice and I struggle with where I call it when you're at E, there's a critical level in the tank where you should never So you know, like with your car, when your car's saying the E, but <laughs> don't push it. Yeah. So we push it. And unfortunately that does damage to the car. So I always say to people, when we start working, you should never get to E because when you get to E, I call it like there's gremlins in your mind, which they take over when you're so tired, you can't, all those things I said to you, yeah, they're nice. You know them, but you can't do them. And all you keep seeing is the negativity. So at that point, I always try to say, don't get to E, but say we are at E, I really just try to get people to really understand that if you do believe that well-being is linked to performance, then really your calendar, you need to start finding time in your calendar to take care of yourself. To, to at least raise the energy up that we can start trying to fill the tank back up. Whether it's sleep, whatever you need to do to reset, you need to carve out that time. 
But what, is, what I realize in reality is whenever people are like that, their to-do list is still through the roof. They have so many demands on them. And I just, the what I try to do is get a mindset shift that if you don't take care of yourself now, the, there's gonna, like all those commitments, they're just gonna fall up by the wayside. And once I can get people to have that mindset shift, it's amazing how they start finding time in their calendar. They can say no to things because sadly I have to paint a picture where I've worked with people where they were on medication. So they start taking the medication. And I think that's usually the wake up call where they're like, I need external support now just to get through my day. And when I start to paint the picture of if you lose, the longer this keeps going, then it's out of your hands. So fortunately it's trying to scare people to like, if you you have to do something now because when you get to that stage it's we can't like it's true what you said it's hard to fill the tank up because you just you can't see the sun from the trees or i don't know what i'm trying you can't see you, you just can't see the good part the horizon and yeah. all you can see is like the cloud dark clouds yeah so, i i think that point you make about not letting the gas tank get too low i mean it, it's going to happen but there is a practice there. That's part of the discipline is we really, and I, why I like your metaphor of mental fitness is part of the work, part of the awareness is really creating the self-awareness. So we know where our tank is. Like you said, that that's what we're thinking about first thing. And what do I need to do today to maintain that level? Because everything else flows from it. 100%, 100%. And I, I try to work with people to start to see the triggers. Like I'm sure before you got to last week, if I was asking you questions, you'd start to see the triggers that you, were, you weren't sleeping so good or you weren't exercising as much. So when you start to see the triggers, if you could actually visually see where your tank was, there would have been some requests that would have come in and you'd have said, no, I, I can't yeah. do that. I, yeah. I know it's really important, but I can't do that. I have to go and fill up the tank. And I think people don't visually especially when people are leaders and everyone depends on them. They just think in their head, everyone depends on me. I've got to go and do it. But if you could visually see that your tank is empty. So if you go and do that, you're going to burn out and then nobody can depend on you. Yeah. Then it's, it's a whole different mindset. I think because we can't visually see it, we just like, Oh, just one more, just one more thing. I'll do just, I'll just let me just do this. And then it's, it's, a bit, it's too late by that point. I remember a, a, a gentleman who, uh, taught me about fuel pumps <laughs> and uh in modern vehicles he said yeah you can drive for a while on uh, when your tank is showing e but you do that too long you're going to screw up your fuel pump and it becomes harder to then put the gas in the tank so there's a meta the metaphor continues <laughs> yeah somebody shared that with me where like you're damaging the car and i never got it but he said that you keep doing that and you get to a situation where you're going to have to pay a lot more money to fix your car so it's stuck in my head, and that once I see the E, I don't. I'd like, okay, we need to we need to go and put some petrol back in the car. Exactly, absolutely. So, and the, put the petrol or the gas, depending on what part of the world you're in. All right, love it, <laughs> Cheetahslav. This has been such a good uh, conversation. I, I really appreciate you sharing this wisdom and and taking the time to write the book and to be here with us. Um, and I know you've got a number of resources in the book. You talk about a, uh, a, 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 a name is escaping. It's like a fitness index or a fitness uh, assessment that people can take. Yeah. Uh, I know you've got some resources. Where can we go to connect with you uh, and take some next steps here? Um, if you want to connect with me, please visit my website. So www.dreamcatchers, all one word, with an S on the end of catchers, performance.com.
If you go to there, there's a tab on there where you can take the quiz. Please, I'd love you to take the quiz because it's just it gives you a starting point to start to think about the things that you put in to fill your tank, um, how you practice real talk. So those people that you have around you that you can go to, to speak to. And if you want to get, you know, do some more work on your mental fitness, you can book a, a no obligation free call with me. And I'd love to speak to you to start working on your mental fitness. But also what I'd love is if you go on LinkedIn, um, I have a lot of, you just find my LinkedIn. I have a lot of the work I'm doing on there. So I just recently did a workshop where I actually talked about this because I knew as a Christmas period was coming, people were going to start feeling a bit burnt out. So you can watch some of the workshops I do and stay tuned. We're going to be doing another one in February, but really please just get in touch. So if you take the quiz, you get a link where you can book a call with me. And I'd love to speak to people who want to start working on their mental fitness. Fantastic. All right. And we'll get the uh, the link in there to uh, Dreamcatcher's performance and so on and uh, LinkedIn in the show notes. So if you are in the car or on the treadmill or out on the trail, you can uh, get that when you get back. All right. Uh, so we have time for one more uh, practical tip, suggestion, skill. What is there that we haven't talked about yet when it comes to investing in your mental fitness? Or perhaps maybe this is another way to go as a leader helping your team to invest in theirs. Uh, mm. Other suggestions that you have for us before we wrap up today? I like the question you said as a leader, because for me, I started to dream about when I thought of mental fitness, I dreamt about the way physical fitness became like there was this revolution where there was a park near my house where I used to go for a run. And back then, 2010, 2015, I think it was, no one used to go out and exercise. This is back in the UK. Fast forward, you know, five years from that point and everyone is exercising. And I was thinking, what happened where we all started to realize exercise is good for us? So what I would love is for leaders to start practicing mental fitness, like taking mental fitness breaks. So as for instance, um, I work with this person who uh, coaching is part of their well-being package. And the person missed a few calls because there's a lot going on work. They're doing huge restructurings. And then she was in the middle of a meeting and she actually said to the person, um, I've got to, I've got to, I've got to end the meeting. I've got my coaching call now. And the person was a senior person. They were looking at them like they were crazy. And I remember thinking, wow, I can't believe you did that. Like, are you sure you're going to have a job to, to come back to? But what I'd love leaders to start practicing and modeling is going for coaching calls or going for a walk or yoga break or something during the day to show people that, this is how you take care of your mental fitness. So you want everybody around you to start taking care of their mental fitness. So you're showing them that you understand that well-being is linked to performance and you want them to sustain it. So whatever they need to do in the day to take care of their mental fitness, they have permission to do that because you're you're modeling it and you're doing it. And I think leaders will, they will definitely start a revolution where I can imagine in work where people, you just see people left, right and center taking breaks to, to work on their mental fitness. That would be, yeah, that to be would be a great sight to see. I love it. Well, I think that is a fantastic recommendation to to conclude our conversation today. We've been talking with China Som Nwabweze. The book is Real Talk, A New Approach to Men's Mental Fitness. And uh, uh, China Som, thank you so much for being a guest with us today. I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much, David. It was a pleasure. I really enjoyed this conversation. And as always, the questions you ask, I always learn new insights when I come on this. So it's a great use of my time. And this has actually helped fill my energy tank. So thank you very much. 
Mine as well. And then I always, uh, I definitely get a little boost. My get that needle above the E every, every conversation I have here. All right, listeners, there is no sustainable high performance without well-being. So invest in yours, model it and invite your team to be investing in theirs as well. And you're on your way to being the leader you'd want your boss to be. Until next time. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.